welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 73. I'm Nick Dixon, here with the thinking man's alcoholic, Toby Young. And coming up, is army conscription coming back? Loza loses his libel case, and is Kemi an evil plotter, plus loads more? And of course, peak woke. But Toby, perhaps we should first start by thanking our new subscribers to Based BasedMedia.org is the, is the website name. Based is the name of the whole thing. Some people thought it was Based Media, some of the boomers out there, but it's Based with a D. B-A-S-E-D, media.org. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, those of you who've subscribed. Um, you will be getting some additional content at the end of this podcast, which other people won't be able to hear. But if you want that additional content, then go over to basedmedia.org. That's based with a D, as Nick said, basedmedia.org, and you can uh, become a premium subscriber for as little as £5 a month, and you get other benefits like an ad-free podcast, um, and uh, in the other tiers, you can Zoom with me and Nick for just £10 a month. You get a monthly Zoom call with Nick and me. Um, £5 a month enables you to comment beneath our videos. We put some additional premium content now for premium subscribers. You can watch a video of our sold-out live show at the Emmanuel Centre last year. If you become a premium subscriber, it's cheap as chips. Um, uh, so thanks to those of you who have. And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're now doing video. I just tried to change my video settings, but it's, it's just that I'm so exhausted that uh, I just look like that, it turns out. But we're doing videos on the YouTube channel, Weekly Skeptic. Loads of stuff going on. And I just want to quickly address someone. And we, we do the reviews in the paid section now. But I just do want to quickly address one thing, which is someone wrote, the grift is on. Because we had a higher tier subscription, which, by the way, Trigonometry have the same one. If you want to go and abuse them, you're always welcome to do that. But the idea that we're grifting, right, because there's a higher tier. So there's a £5 tier for anyone to join. There's a £10 tier. Then we put some, like, you know, ridiculously high paid tier, just in case any rich donor wants to back us instead of, like, giving it to H HMRC or something, which is a totally normal thing to do. And someone has said here, looking at the subscription for Totally Basic Out, and it's 200 a month. Must be a misprint. Who you're trying to attract, Rishi Sunak? Yeah, that would be a good idea. You could definitely subscribe. I mean, and it, and it says one of the benefits of uh, not being a subscriber is not having to listen to Nick telling you to F off if you post even a mildly critical review of the podcast. Well, I will be telling you to F off for that podcast, for that podcast, for that review and saying that you're literally worse than Hitler because this idea, Toby, of the higher tier, it's annoyed. I've had two things like this now, but annoying people. So firstly, I've done this podcast for over a year with, with putting in ridiculous amounts of time and effort. For, for why? Am I making any money? No, we're just basically breaking even and paying back costs. We do the live shows. I mean, what, what the, why the fuck am I doing? I'm doing it for free for these people. They admit it's a great podcast. They're annoyed that there's a higher tier. I was walking past Louis Vuitton the other day. I was in West Central London. I don't bash on the window of Louis Vuitton and say, oh, your stuff's too expensive. It's just Louis Vuitton. Maybe it's not for me, but it's actually more ridiculous than that because the equivalent of this is you can go in Louis Vuitton and get the £5 and £10 option. So you can get the Louis Vuitton shoe, you can get the other shoe, you just maybe can't get the bag. But why are you annoyed about the existence of the bag? It's just not for you, that's for rich people that just want to feel like you're supporting us. Toby, what, what's going on? Why is that a grift? I think it's, 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 it's a common theme, I think, of uh, trolls on Twitter and other social media platforms, that if, if you ask to be paid as a content creator, um, you immediately get accused of being a grifter. It's um, it is as though you know the the 
the conventional thing is just to give it all away for free in perpetuity until eventually you starve to death. And any departure from that model <laughs> is thought to be a grift. I mean, it's kind of perplexing, but, uh, you know, any excuse by the haters to hate, I guess. This is like that we've opened a supermarket, given them free food for a year. Then the day we charge five pounds for an item, 10 pounds for another, oh, one of them is more expensive. You can use outrage. You can't buy the caviar. Yeah, but you can still buy the, the pasta and the fucking pizza. I'm just, I'm just like outraged because I'm putting so much into this podcast and getting so little out except insults and obviously some love from our supporters. But it's just like, I just don't understand. I mean, do you want me to go back to data entry? I used to do data entry at the, <laughs> the tax office. I can do, and then there won't be a podcast, will there? Why are we not allowed to live? I can't, I'm trying to just... I can, can't even afford to furnish my flat at the moment. What do you want from me? Yeah, it's like maybe because they're used to watching you for free on GB News and they, they, they resent being asked to give any money at all to pay to see you, even though, you know, um, a good 80% of this podcast is still completely free. Probably more like 90. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's a good analogy. It's a good analogy because GB News is able to do that because they've got some rich benefactors. Um, exactly. It's it's not actually free to put out that content. They've just got some rich guys to pay for it. And, you know, if 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 I'm perfectly willing to explore that alternative, if if, if a billionaire out there wants to buy um, uh, the Weekly Skeptic uh, of Base Media Limited and um, pay me and Nick salaries, then I guess that's that would be an alternative. But until that happens, um, I think we can charge a modest amount um, for premium subscribers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. If someone wants to buy it and pay as a salary, but GB gets there because it's got rich benefactors and it's hemorrhaging money. That's how it does that. We can't do that because we don't have, we can't afford to hemorrhage money and we don't have rich benefactors. So that is it. So those people, I, they just absolutely baffle me. I, I just don't think they've switched their brains on and they just, I don't know what, I don't know what they, who they think we are. This is disgusting. Anyway, on, on, on the subject of grifts, um, we ought to mm. promote our live show too, just before we get into the meat of the show. So we are doing another uh, live recording of the Weekly Skeptic downstairs at the Hippodrome on February 12th. Tickets are only £25. So if you want to have a drink with Nick and me afterwards at the exclusive upstairs rooftop bar you can do that for 75 quid tickets are selling pretty well um so if you are interested in coming to that um uh, you can go to basemedia.org whether you're a paid subscriber or not and click on events and you can buy tickets for the show that way yeah and i'll work incredibly hard preparing for the show incredibly hard for the two hours of the show being hilarious using my 11 years of live stand-up experience and get absolutely nothing for it and then be accused of grifting so make sure you come on feb 12th um all right, so let's get into it then with the first story, which is this army conscription story. So the chief of the general staff, General Sir Patrick Sanders, says citizens should be trained and equipped to launch themselves into a kind of citizen army to take on Russia. This was just this was a sort of posh guy mouthing off. These old army posh people want us all to go and die. Then General Sir Richard Sheriff, ex-Deputy Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, said basically the same thing. He said we have to think the unthinkable. And... Tim Stanley wrote an excellent article sort of saying, why would we bother signing up for the neoliberal globalist project that we have no affiliation with? And Carl Benjamin's had some exchanges along those lines on X. And what's fascinating is he's basically saying, why should we sign up as patriots who have just been despised? The country's just falling apart. It's mass immigration, cost of living, blah, blah, blah. We're kind of hated. Why would we sign up for this country? Meanwhile, the leftists say to him, well, we're not going to sign up, especially the ones that are recent immigrants. They say, well, we've been called invaders and foreign by the far right and we we're not going to sign up we don't identify with this country and they explicitly hate the country anyway it's decolonization it's 
anti-imperialism and so on. So who is left? Well, really, you're just left with the remainder in the middle who's in line with this ideology, the metropolitan remainder, and they're not going to fight. I mean, they're not going to win any wars, are they? I mean, they're just they're drinking their lattes. Plus, if they all went to war, who's going to be left to tell us what to do? I mean, so I, I, put a, I did a little uh, substack about this, nickdixon.substack.com, and a little plug there as well. And I just, I, I said, I, the problem is, I said, the, the ultra-individuated liberal anywhere man as coined by David Goodhart is a concept antithetical to the patriotic collectivist effort required for war. Or perhaps more accurately, the collective we are being asked to identify with is so vast, whether it be the citizen of Europe cited by so many post-Brexit Twitter bios, or the globalist who sees the world as one big trading blob, that we simply cannot feel any sentimental attachment to it. We are atomized, disinterested parties in the corporate monstrosity. The work experience kid expected to care whether McDonald's or Coca-Cola increased their profits that quarter. But it's worse than that because, as Stanley implies, uh, the corporation is actively attacking us. So you should go and check out my post on it on Substack. Sorry to read my own post, a bit self-indulgent, but I probably made the point better there. Why would anyone sign up to fight at this point, Tom? Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... Uh, you can perfectly understand why um, the number of people who say they would be willing to fight for their country um, is so low, um, because what is it they'd be fighting for, as you say? And um, I don't know if you saw, but um, there was a really good piece by um, Ed West um, uh, about this very issue. Um, and um, he referred to a song um, that um, uh, had been devised. It was supposed to be a new kind of, it wasn't an alternative to the national anthem, but a song that was just supposed to unite us. And I'm now looking for that and typically can't find the bloody thing. I thought I'd made a note of it. Um, but it had absolutely absurd lyrics, which you know, were about as far from the Marseillais as you could possibly get and unlikely to inspire anyone to fight and risk dying for their country. But I think one thing to bear in mind, Nick, is that um, often um, people say when asked in polls during peacetime uh, that they wouldn't be prepared to fight for their country. uh, And when it comes to war, they then are. Um, So um, I think there was the famous king and country debate at the Oxford Union in 1933. The motion was, this house will under no circumstances fight for its king and country. And it passed with 275 votes uh, to 153 against. And yet, um, when the time came, people were very willing to fight for their country. I suppose it partly depends on who the enemy is. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know if um, there were similar polls in Ukraine before Russia invaded Ukraine, but you can imagine, for similar reasons, there was a reluctance on people's part to volunteer that they would fight for their country prior to Russia's invasion. And yet when Russia invaded, there was no shortage of people willing to sign up. Um, Just to give a bit of context to this, uh, well, a sort of personal um, uh, uh, background to the story. Um, My father, interestingly enough, um, was... um, uh, he was auditioning for for, for a job um, at I think the um, it was it was a think tank and it was in something like 1938 and um, and as part of the application process you had to write a kind of uh, a skeleton of a policy paper and he left it to the last minute essay crisis mode and found a book by Lytton Strachey in the LSE library, he was at the LSE, um, making the argument 
that um, introducing conscription during the First World War in twenty in in nineteen sixteen uh, was very late, and actually we would have fared much better had we introduced conscription before the outbreak of the First World War, uh, or to coincide with the outbreak. Uh, and so my father extrapolated this to the present international situation and said it would be very sensible of the British government to prepare to introduce conscription uh, on the eve of war with Germany, should it happen, rather than wait like they had done during the First World War. Anyway, instead of writing the skeleton, he ended up staying up all night and writing this paper, making the argument for conscription. Um, and, um, uh, and the think tank was so impressed, not only did they offer him a job, they published this policy paper. And it was read by Winston Churchill. And Churchill thought it was absolutely brilliant, because that's exactly what he thought. Um, and um, he contacted my father through his private secretary and um, offered my father a job uh, working for him. Um, uh, and um, my father was going to take the job, um, but he was then vetted um, because Churchill was an MP, um, so he had to go through a positive vetting procedure. And he failed the vetting because he had until quite recently been a member of the Communist Party. Um, but had he not been a member of the Communist Party, on the strength of this paper that he wrote one night in the LSE library applying for this job, he might have been, you know, right next to Churchill throughout the Second World War. Wow. Your dad was a, a communist. He so was he didn't get a, a job with Churchill. That's yeah. absolutely mental. That's incredible. There's so much that's crazy about that. Wow. I don't even know how to follow that, really. So uh, <laughs> would 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 you um, sign up, though, Toby? Well, I, I saw Boris um, Boris's piece in the mail saying, you know, reporting for duty, sir, doing an yeah, impression of um, uh, uh, what the um, – uh, who was the character in, 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 in Dad's Army? Um, the corporal, anyway, doing an impression of him. Um, and uh, I mean, my initial reaction was, yes, I would sign up. Um, but I don't think they'd take me any more than they'd take Boris because I'm 60. Um, and uh, I don't think, I think that would probably um, uh, uh, mean that I wasn't eligible. Um, uh, but um, if I, I mean, would I pretend to be, you know, 55? I think I could get away with it. Um, I guess, I think, I think I... I think that's still over the cutoff, isn't it? The cutoff's... I heard someone said it was 42. Is that, I don't know. I just heard that last night. Is that true? Is it 42? Okay. So, I don't know where that came from. Paul Cox told me, and I don't know if he's like in charge of it. Right. He's just right. a comedian. So would GB you still News. be in the frame? No, I'm, well, yeah, I would because I'm 36, is it? So <laughs> it's, um, it, yeah, it would be a big problem for me. Um, the, the way I looked at, oh, here you go. National Service Act imposed conscription on all males between 18 and 41. That was right. Second World War. So if, right. yeah, they could go with that again. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I guess oh, no, um, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to change all my dating profiles. I'm not even on them. But I yeah, guess, I'm, I guess the, the major I can pass for 36. The major concern for me would be um, my son. So I've got you know an 18 year old, a 16 year old, and a 15 year old. Um, so mm. you know, um, if war comes in three years, then all three of my sons would be eligible for the draft, and um, that would be pretty alarming. I think you know, I think I'd probably be more willing to fight myself than to um, uh, allow my children to be called up. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I think that the, the, I still believe in enough. I still have 
a vestige of patriotism, um, enough of one um, to think it would be worth risking my own life to defend the country. But I'm not sure I'm patriotic enough to think it would be worth risking my children's life to defend the country. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that would, yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to see your kids go to war. I, it looks like I would just miss the cutoff. So maybe I should start being a real jingoist. But uh, I just can't be because, I mean, I made this point on X. Sorry to read out one of my exes, but this, this, uh, one of my exes, this um, weird volunteer woman was telling off the lady for singing gospel songs outside the church. She said, you can't sing church songs outside the church ground. And it was just some volunteer, some made up force. And I don't know what, what it's, the name of it is. And this has gone viral. And um, she was completely making it up anyway. She was wrong. She had the laws wrong. Then at the end of the video, she sticks her tongue out in a kind of perfect gesture for how the sort of neoliberal establishment has been treating us all, the, all these years. And um, I just said, this is the country they want us to sign up and fight for. If we lost and were taken over by authoritarians who didn't share our values, how would we know? I mean, the woman's got like a sort of European accent. It turns out to be from Bulgaria. She could have easily been Russian or German. Like, how would we know? if a sort of European or Eastern country had taken over. I mean, it'd be exactly the same, wouldn't it, Toby? We've already been taken over. <laughs> well, it, it might be. It might be that um, uh, if we were taken... Well, I suppose it would, be depend, it would depend on who took us over. I mean, I guess if we were invaded by North Korea, things would probably change quite dramatically. Um, uh, less so if we were invaded by a kind of EU army. I imagine if we were invaded by an EU army... Um, you know, it would make zero difference. Um, I mean, yeah. And if we're invaded it, by Russia, they might allow the Christian songs. They might even force us to do the Christian songs, which would be better. Yeah. Um, I guess the 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 unwillingness of um, enough people to fight for Britain to be able to raise an army capable of repelling an invader is one of the foreseeable consequences of the sustained attack on nationalism since the Second World War. So the architects of the EU thought that the way to avoid another European world war um, was to um, unleash this sustained attack on nationalism, to try and dissolve national borders, to try and make people put the good of Europe before the good of their own country. Um, uh, and to a certain extent, you could argue that's worked. There have been conflicts between European countries since 1945, but there hasn't been anything resembling the Second or First World War. Germany seems to have been contained. Its territorial ambitions, for the most part, contained, diverted into financial dominance instead of territorial dominance of the European landmass, etc. Um, but... The problem with that solution to um, regional conflicts is that it has left us vulnerable to attack from a very nationalistic power on the borders of the European Union, such as Russia. Uh, although, having said that, um, all this talk I mean, about Russia potentially posing a threat um, uh, in two or three years' time and the need to prepare for that threat. Um, I mean, that's not terribly credible, given the huge difficulty that Russia has got into uh, merely fighting Ukraine. I mean, maybe that word merely um, uh, belittles the 
enormous sacrifices and the courage shown by Ukrainians. But if Russia, you know, cannot successfully uh, uh, subdue Ukraine, um, is it likely that, um, you know, while still being embroiled uh, in a conflict in Ukraine, Russia would extend um, the war to, um, uh, to, to, to Western Europe, um, the Baltics, um, it seems. It seems at this stage, anyway. Maybe if Russia wins, um, uh, then it might be emboldened and have more capacity. But at the moment, it doesn't look like a particularly credible threat to the United Kingdom. Yeah, and it depends what form it would take. I mean, they're pitching it as a, the new Cold War. I suppose it's a more of a land war in Ukraine. Would would Russia's war with us be sort of more? Would it be cyber attacks? Would it be espionage? What would it be? Would it be the poisonings? I mean, I suppose it would, knowing Russia, it would take all forms. But I guess, yeah, they're sort of positing it as a kind of good old-fashioned shooting war. But I'm, I don't know. It wouldn't really... That wasn't the Cold War, was it? So I, I really don't know what form it would take. Mm. Well, it, well, Putin's been training up uh, these beluga whales, hasn't he? So maybe it would largely be done aquatically <laughs> via trained uh, aquatic mammals. Maybe the, maybe the um, scenario... Uh, being considered is that um, if uh, I don't know uh, Sweden um, uh, joins NATO um, and uh, Putin attacks Sweden, then as a NATO country, we'd be expected to commit some troops to defending Sweden from Russia, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I mean, they constantly want to bring Ukraine into NATO, don't they? Yeah, now Sweden, it's it's all getting very disturbing. It's just, we're just at constant war. I think we should all just relax and accept we're all at war now at all times with all countries, basically. The whole, the whole world's at war, I suppose, too, between the, I suppose, NATO and, and, the, and the Russia-China-Iran complex, whatever you want to call it. I mean, isn't that just how it is? We've got war in Israel, we've got Yemen, Russia, Ukraine. Maybe this is going to be the new era where we're just sort of always just this massive global conflict, but it's not like a typical kinetic conflict. It's just various skirmishes and, I don't know, advancements. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there has been a lot of talk of the Third World War this week. I mean, uh, Trump said he thought a Third World War was likely. Um, uh, Hitchens wrote a piece which we summarised in The Daily Skeptic in which he said he thought war was coming. Um he thinks that um, that's partly because um, Europe's current generation of leaders, uh, unlike earlier generations, have had no immediate first-hand experience of the horror of war and therefore might allow themselves to be drawn into a war, might be less guarded against that. And I think he, he thinks that um, uh, the support that... Um, Britain and the EU have been giving to Ukraine, um, which is perpetuating that conflict, is dangerous um, and may yet see us being sucked into war with Russia. So I think that's one of his concerns. By the way, did you see that um, the EU um, drew up a secret plan uh, to threaten uh, Viktor Orban if Hungary didn't sign off on a new, was it a 50 billion euro aid package to Ukraine. Um, uh, uh, pretty, pretty horrifying. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and also not terribly credible because 
Hungary has its own currency. So, you know, um, uh, the EU doesn't have as much leverage over Hungary's economy as this uh, secret plan seemed to assume. And people said that they'd be even bolder if it wasn't for Brexit, which has got them a little scared. So, yeah, but they, they'd they bully Hungary even more. I know it's disgusting. I can't stand the EU. It just shows what they're like. Um, a couple of extra things on the army. thing, And just on that woman, by the way, who told off the other woman for singing gospel songs, uh, there was a follow-up article on it. said that she was a jet-setting Costa Coffee employee. I didn't know there were any jet-setting Costa Coffee employees. She's out to be a 20-year-old from Bulgaria. Why is a 20-year-old Costa Coffee employee from Bulgaria telling us we can't sing Christian songs? So that really made me angry. And just on your other point of have we faced up to the reality of war, there was a recruitment ad on Fortnite which got binned after being branded sick and disturbing. Did you see that? It was actually quite a well-made advert. So it was, it was an advert that, that sort of mimicked Fortnite, the game, but you're right. joining the army. Right. And you said you belong in the army. And it got binned, and it wasn't even clear that it went along with Fortnite's creator rules. That it went against their guidelines, but the army were just trying it because they're trying anything desperately. And people were pointing out how sort of sick it is because it's aimed at children. So maybe children are the key to fighting this war. They'll be playing Fortnite. Oh, look, I could join the army. It'll be just like Fortnite. And then we send them to go and go to Russia. I mean, it was pretty worrying, but it shows how desperate they are. Yeah, they are desperate. Did you see the, um, there was a great, um, uh, although very um, profane clip from um, a sort of white van man kind of laughing about the fact that um, the British army couldn't find anyone to volunteer. Um, and, and, and he was sort of, uh, essentially, he was a sort of a typical white working class young man and he was essentially making the point that you know for for decades uh the kind of white working class have been demonized you know cast out um uh, uh looked down on by everybody thought to, thought to be this kind of wretched underclass who just need constantly re-educating and he sort of, he sort of, I think he was a Millwall supporter. So he sort of, he kept comparing, you know, white working class males to Millwall fans. Yeah, everybody hates us. Um, and then he says, and now, and now they want us to fight for them to defend the country. Now they want to call us up. Who else going to do the fighting? It's not, it's not these soy boys, is it? Uh, it's people like us. Now they want us to do their fighting, having shat on us for decades. They now want us to go and risk our lives to protect them. It was great stuff. It was, it was much, much, much more sweary than that. I've left out all the profanities, yeah. but it was, it was great. And it's so not, it, not quite it, as loud it, as that. Go on. No, but it's, it's, it's interestingly, it's a, so someone sent this to me along with that Kipling poem. It's Tommy this and Tommy that, and that that's been a perennial complaint of you know our soldiering class for you know centuries um it's actually one of the themes of the sharp novels as well that uh, you know it's it's the scum of britain the wretched the dispossessed the look down upon the scorn who end up doing the fighting and turn out to be you know the backbone of the nation absolutely and it's, it's and the attacks on those people are worse than ever and why should they fight this is what i say in my piece wars have been won in this country by working class men with moral compasses and a lack of other opportunity, combining with posh men with an inherent sense of duty and thin mustaches, and that's how we win these things. Whereas what this this idea of only, but who does the who does a neoliberal globalist ideology, whatever you want to call it, appeal to? The person in the middle, the metro person, the people in my football team, the people with a solid job and three kids. 
working in the extended blob who hate the country, love Europe, or they pretend to like the country. They like Keir Starmer. They like football now, but they're like, they're the only people the ideology appeals to, but they're not going to fight. Or if they do, like I say, there'll be no one left to tell us what to do and uh, and be annoying. But but yeah, the working class, why would they fight? And then, the, but there's also that cut off, isn't there, between it used to be, Boris is kind of harking back to that. He's trying to sort of, oh, let's all bloody join up. But, it, you know, it, there used to be that, that symbiosis between the the aristocracy and the and the working man in a strange way, and that's I think that's broken as well now, and it's all broken. Who's going to and like, as I say, the other the left aren't going to fight because they are, they admit to hating the country. So and the, the 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 regime has cozied up to the left, so their values are kind of all merged together. So you know who's going to fight? So those people we've been told to despise the country. We've been told we're citizens of Europe. So what is it we're fighting for? As Tim Stanley says, you fight for home. You don't fight for an abstraction. But we've been told yeah. we don't have a home. And if we do, it's a shithole and we're scum. And the, the, the kind of the alternative point of view um, is that actually um, we could recruit a diverse army. Um, you know, um, as many women as men, people of all ethnicities and faiths, and that they would defend diverse open, tolerant Britain. Um, and they'd be willing to risk their lives to defend that kind of inclusive kind of um, 2012 Olympics opening ceremony vision of the country. Um, and as Ed West said in his really good piece on his Substack about this, uh, 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 at one point, there were more British Muslims fighting for ISIS than there were British Muslims in the British army. That's how enthusiastic our Muslim population is about joining the army. Despite that army recruitment ad where the, the guy gets down and, and starts praying with his prayer mat, and it's like, oh, the diverse army. And that reminds you, the one thing I forgot to mention here was this guidance that resurfaced in light of all this, which was actually from 2017, given out to high-ranking officers, and it was leaked to the press in 2019. And this was extreme right-wing indicators and warnings and this was sent out to the army and it said, look out for individuals who describe themselves as patriots. That was the first one. It's hard to get any more absurd than that. You can't have patriots in the army. Another one was add Istan to British place names. So London, Istan. That, and then another one, one of my favorites, make inaccurate generalizations about the left or government. So if you were to say, oh, the government are competent or the left is benevolent, you, you would be an extreme right winger because those are inaccurate generalizations. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's just, use the term Islamo-fascism. I mean, look at opponents as traitors, claim that immigration is the root of injustices against vulnerable people. But it goes on and on. I've, I've read out some of the most absurd ones. Um, involve it's... colleagues in closed social media groups. You bang out of luck there. Crouch and dog walkers are bang out of luck. What? The, what the, this is absolutely insane. This was given out. Yeah, how to spot a far right extremist? Um, it sounds like we tick every single box. Um, <laughs> so uh, maybe actually, maybe maybe they should if they actually do want to raise an army capable of defending us from kind of Putin stormtroopers. They should just say, if you fail every single one of these tests. We want you. Uh, yeah. Sign up <laughs> yeah. now as a signing bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Refer to political correctness as some left-wing or communist plot. Well, yes. Yes, yes, and yes. I mean, describe multicultural towns as lost. <laughs> These are funny. I mean, some of them are more extreme. Have tattoos with overt and covert extreme right-wing iconography. So if you've got a swastika on your forehead, you know, I can, 
I can get, go along but, with no, that one. Presumably, a, 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 bit a, union, a Union Jack tattoo would fall into that. Union category. Jack on the upper arm. Yeah, that Co- would be covert be done. far right extremism. Yeah. yeah, even the sort of archetypal anchor tattoo would sort of say you're yeah. supporting the Navy. Probably, a, <laughs> probably an imperialist. Um, yeah. Yes, incredible. I mean, become increasingly angry at perceived injustices or threats to so-called national identity. Whoops. Oh, well. <laughs> so ridiculous. Well, that's the army story. We've done half an hour on that. Probably enough. I think we should move on. Yeah. And um, just for the viewer, the reason I look like shit is, and this is, I'm going to tie it to the next story, is I didn't sleep last night. I'm, I, I've hosted GB News last two nights. And then I got in at 1 a.m. I was like, I've got to prepare for Weekly Skeptic. But I was too tired. I've got to go to bed. I went to bed at 3. Couldn't sleep till 8.05 a.m according to my Fitbit, didn't do my preparation. I just stayed there, it lo- lo- it lost in indecision between the two, it's insomnia, and that's why I look and feel like crap. But another person, this is my link, who may be struggling today is poor old Lawrence Fox, who's had a tough time because he's lost his libel case after calling critics paedophiles, is how the Times puts the headline. So I'm sure you followed this. He was accused by these people, what's her name, Simon Blake? a gay rights activist and former Stonewall trustee, and Crystal, a former RuPaul's Drag Race contestant. So they called him racist. And he did a classic thing I've seen loads of people do on X, formerly Twitter, which is to say, okay, well, then you're a pedophile. And I've seen loads of variations on this. And it's a straightforward rhetorical technique to say, well, if you can just call me anything, I can just call you anything if all bets are off and we don't have defamation. A perfectly normal sort of ironic point to make. But court seems to have taken it all very literally and said that, you know, this is a terrible thing to call them and it was obviously damaging, seriously harmful, defamatory and baseless. And whereas when it came to the accusation of racism against Fox, they were less clear. The judge fell short of making a ruling on whether describing Fox as a racist is substantially true, which is interesting. And then the judge made a statement I found very strange and sort of partial and inappropriate. She said, it's not only what he says, but how he says it that regularly ignites controversy around Mr. Fox, deliberately or otherwise. Isn't that a sort of highly subjective, almost social media commentator-esque point to make? But anyway, Toby, I'm sure there's some detail you'll pick up that I'm missing. I didn't get, maybe I'm missing detail. The, th- the thing that seems to have really bothered Lawrence today is this: the fact that they won't define racism. And he's been posting on X in a, a fair amount of dismay, it seems like, and I hope he's okay. He says, I haven't slept a wink. That was the link with me. So forgive me if this is rambling. Thoughts on yesterday's judgment. Six times judges have now been asked to define what a racist is. Still no answer. The Court of Appeals specifically asked a judge in this case to define the word, and yet she is not. It baffles me as to how a term which has not been defined can be defamatory or not. Surely in order to determine defamation, you would need to know what the meaning of the alleged defamatory term is. The judge has dodged this question by saying that no suffered serious harm has been suffered by myself. Which is, he's a bit tired. If losing your entire career does not meet the threshold for serious harm, then I don't know what does. It is also now free reign for anyone to call anyone a racist if there's nothing you can do about it. It also makes the word racist itself utterly meaningless. And he goes on and say it just basically means you can't fight back or defend yourself. And he's appealed before and won, so he's going to appeal, but he says he feels utterly bereft and totally hopeless, which I can uh, I can sympathize with. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, it does seem um, like a harsh judgment to have effectively... I mean, as I understand it, when he was called a racist by the two people you've mentioned and a third person who is an actress, um, he retaliated by calling them 
pedos, um, as you say. Um, it was um, not an accusation intended to be taken at face value. Um, he didn't actually think that any of these people were in fact pedos. Um, he was simply making the point that if they can accuse him of being a racist uh, with what he thought was no evidence, then he's perfectly entitled to accuse them of being pedos with no evidence either. Um, and he was just trying to illustrate um, how unfair it was to call him a racist because of comments he'd made about Sainsbury's. I can't remember the exact context, but didn't seem like a particularly racist thing to say, as I recall. Anyway, um, he he and he then fought back when they decided to sue him for libel by countersuing them for libeling him by calling him a racist. And the judge has concluded that he libeled them by calling them pedos, but they didn't libel him by calling him a racist. Although the judgment seemed to be slightly more nuanced than that. Um, and um, the judge um, uh, said that um, he simply hadn't produced enough evidence um, that the accusation that he's a racist had um, caused him harm, um, whereas they apparently had produced sufficient evidence to satisfy the judge that him calling them pedos had actually caused them harm. Um, uh, anyway, so he, he's going to, he's, he said that he's going to appeal it. Um, and um, I guess he'll he'll have to wait and find out whether uh, the court of appeal will give him leave to do that. Um, but on the face of it, it it does it does seem quite a one sided and partial judgment. I assume the other person you're referring to is Nicola Thorpe, who's written long posts about it. She was involved as well, wasn't she? She says we won on all counts. He said she. Hasn't really won, but he apparently her because her case was thrown out. That's what I don't understand what that refers to. I've been a bit behind this. What does he mean when he says her case was thrown out? The original defamation case, and then they won the, yeah. him countersuing, but they didn't win the original defamation. I, I'm right? not sure exactly what the difference was there. Um, yeah, I've not been worked that out either. Because I've got a certain amount of bandwidth, and the amount of legal cases Lawrence has, I don't always have the bandwidth for them. Though I certainly wish him well, but he does do a lot of legal cases because he. As he says, he's not paying for them; they're funded, so he can do this. And maybe, and it is important. I mean, it is it is odd. That, I mean, certainly, no one could argue him being called racist initially wasn't incredibly damaging to him. This is a separate instance of him being called racist. The initial time when he was first counsel, when he appeared on Question Time, I mean, that was massively damaging, wasn't it? Yes, um, yes. I mean, I imagine I, I didn't follow the case particularly closely, but I imagine um, part of the uh, defense against the accusation that they had damaged his career by calling him a racist was that, uh, well, um, uh, plenty of things he did um, uh, contributed to um, the fact that he can no longer get work as an actor. And this was, this, this wasn't decisive in rendering him unemployable as an actor. Um, one, 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 one. I, 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 um, I know from having kind of um, been asked by various people who've been accused of being racists before um, uh, whether the Free Speech Union can do anything to help them. It's not a kind of typical Free Speech Union case um, because you know it would take a lot, I think, for us to help someone sue someone for libel. Um, but um, when I've talked to you know, defamation specialists about this. The general view is that um, 
you know, if you if you call someone a pedophile, um, and there and you don't and you and, and 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 you don't have any evidence to support that charge, that's more straightforwardly defamatory, um, because you're making a factual assertion, which um, you know they they can show isn't true. Um, if you if you accuse someone of being of being a racist, um, that's much harder to disprove because it feels more like an expression of opinion rather than a reference to you know factually checkable things. Um, so it's much harder, I think, to prove that you're not a racist uh, than it is to prove you're not a paedophile. Mm. Yeah, certainly more subjective term, but there should be a much higher burden of proof when calling someone a racist because it's so damaging in our ultra-liberal culture. It's the worst possible thing you can be called. It's actually arguably worse than being called a paedophile. I mean, if you look at the treatment of some paedophiles in the country or some gangs, let's say, rape gangs, who's been treated worse? You know, I mean, that famously in the grooming gang scandal, the point was people were so worried about being called racist, they turned a blind eye to the rape of children. Therefore, you could surmise in our culture, it's worse to be called a racist than it is to rape children. I mean, there it is. Sounds insane, but that's basically what we could draw from those multiple cases. So therefore, there should be a much higher bar to call someone a racist. You should have to have some sort of proof. Yeah, um, I guess it's um, the 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 difficulty in um, bringing a libel suit against someone who calls you a racist is that when someone calls you a racist, um, often they're they're putting a particularly negative, uncharitable spin on something you've said, and it often it's often takes the form of speculating about motive, doesn't it? So you know, people who voted for Brexit were accused of being racists because why else would they support brexit um people who are anti-immigration you know nigel farage is accused of being racist including by david cameron at one point who famously described uh the ukip as uh, the bnp in blazers um so there's all it's always there's always a kind of speculative element and it always kind of well there's usually a speculative element anyway um uh, and um and it often involves um a claim by the person making the accusation to be able to see inside the kind of rotting putrid soul of the person they're accusing of racism they're, they're claiming a kind of special insight into the psychology of the person they're attacking and and that's quite hard to disprove you know it's quite hard to prove a negative when 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 accused of having a rotting soul yeah, exactly. And as you say, Farage has been accused of that by Nat West, amongst others. And um, yeah, I think I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to top my prior point, which is so good. I'm almost thinking, should I post that and get in trouble? But my point about the people's fears about being called racist is so extreme. They turn a blind eye to rape. So it proves the point. We need a, you can, if you can just go around calling someone a racist and destroy their career, that can't be right, can it? It just can't be right. So we need judges to reckon with that. And that's why Fox keeps going back for a definition because we have a simple definition in the dictionary, but the left have kind of rejected that definition because it doesn't involve oppression and power and all this nonsense. But obviously means treating someone differently in, in, a, in a prejudicial way according to their race or whatever the literal words are. But it's it's pretty straightforward. It's weird that they won't define that. Anyway, let's see. Let's see if he gets any further with his other cases. I hope he does all right. I mean... He's there talking about how words don't matter anymore and we need a revolution, politics don't work. And, you know, it's this point that's been made in various places, which is that you push people out. You know, Lawrence was just trying to be an actor and you push people further and further into a corner. I mean, what are they supposed to do? 
you know, you, the way we treat people now, they're not allowed in society if we deem them, you know, wrong and wrong and with wrong think we want to unperson them. And you just push people to more and more extremes. I'm not saying that Lawrence is being extreme. He just, he's just frustrated about his case. I'm not saying he's really going to, I don't know, do anything crazy, but it's just, you know, you just feel that people are left with no avenues. They're just, you, you don't allow them into society. What they're going to do, even criminals do their time, hardened criminals and a, well, a lot of them are let out pretty blooming quickly these days, but they're let out and we're supposed to say you've done your time. But I suppose it's not an original thought, but with, with cancel culture, you never do your time. You're just unpersoned and on the outskirts, becoming more yes. and more extreme well, in your thoughts. Yeah, I was, Perhaps. I was, um, and it's a good point that uh, the woke seem far more willing to forgive, you know, um, a child murderer, to put it at its most extreme, than they do. Um, uh, someone who's um, uh, breached the kind of um, dogma of equity, diversity and inclusion. And and why is that? Because on the face of it, it just seems completely absurd. Uh, why is it that um, there wasn't more uproar about the fact that the um, killer in the Nottingham case um, had a plea of manslaughter accepted, or was it diminished responsibility? But in any event, he could be he, he could be in prison for as little as two years. Um, and he's going to hospital instead of prison. He's going to hospital instead because of prison. Because he's psychotic, but it's like, we're still the same guy. Yeah. Um, of course he's a and, psycho. He bangs on people's doors, he assaults people. Now he's planned to kill someone and killed them because he's a psycho. So he should be in jail. I don't get that. But he was out of his normal mind. It was a bizarre kind of philosophical question. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, and then there's, there's this, this case of... Um, uh, of the uh, Sam Melia, is that what he's called? Um, he 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 supposedly well he he's been convicted. He was convicted last week, I think, uh, but in a jury trial. Um, uh, and one of the things he was convicted for was um, encouraging his supporters to put these stickers on road signs and street signs and so forth. Um, so it was a conspiracy to cause criminal or encouraging others to commit criminal damages, criminal damage. And it was racially aggravated because he's a member of some uh, right wing group. Um, but he hasn't attacked anyone. Um, as far as we know, he's, you know, he, 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 he's never assaulted anyone. He's never committed burglary or uh, he's never mugged anyone. Um, uh, it's it's essentially you know he he's a member of a far right political organisation although not a prescribed political organisation but in any event because he's um, seemingly an organiser for this right wing group uh, he's been found guilty um, guilty of a of, of stirring up hatred and guilty of encouraging people to commit criminal damage and he's going to be sentenced on the 1st of March, and um, apparently the minimum tariff for what he's been sentenced for, found guilty of, is three years. Uh, could go to prison for longer. But it does seem odd, doesn't it, that in our society, these kinds of thought crimes should be punished much more severely than, you know, uh, uh, well, in the case of the Nottingham chap, than 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 murder. Um, yeah. uh, and why is that? Is it is it is it partly because is it is it a bit like well, you can tell me in a minute? But I, I, it reminded me of um, uh, nineteen eighty four and the fact that it's only really 
amongst members of the kind of educated um, professional managerial class that Big Brother two-way screens are in their flats, their houses. The proles can get away with, you know, um, uh, dissent, rebellion, wrong think in a way that members of the professional middle class can't and professional managerial class can't. And is is it partly that? I mean, okay, this guy, Sam Melia, not a member of the professional managerial class, but is it is it to send a message to members of that class that you shouldn't deviate from the kind of current orthodoxy when it comes to things like EDI? Uh, and if you do, you know, you're for the high jump. Um, uh, whereas, you know, crimes which largely affect only the working class um, uh, are much less severely punished. They're much more concerned with policing the thought of members of the professional managerial class and sending messages to them about what happens if they dissent or go off piste than they are about actually policing ordinary crimes like theft and burglary and mugging mm-hmm. and murder. There's okay, something in that. Well, it's it's a little different. There's something in that. They do target certain people more strictly than others. But then you can only you can already contemplate that immediately by looking at the very different treatment of Tommy Robinson versus Douglas Murray, and I always say Douglas Murray is just Tommy Robinson with a posh accent. Murray's got away with it far more, saying the same. I say got away with it, just saying the same things. I mean, than Robinson because he expresses it in a more genteel fashion. So that goes against that. My explanation is different. Look at Kenneth Eugene Smith, just executed in Alabama. The puff pieces on this guy. He murdered a woman in 1988. Now, granted, they, they've messed around. It's taken a long time. The method of killing was not great, which was this nitrogen hypoxia when it took 22 minutes and they tried to kill him with lethal injection in November 22. And I now have this whole case memorized ridiculously. It's, it's kind of bizarre. But I, And by the way, the jury voted 11 to 1 to let him off and the judge overrode it, if that's the correct word, in a, in a practice that's now been outmoded, which is this judicial override they've now got rid of. So I don't agree with that because I think the jury should decide. However... He did kill a woman in 1988 now, and he was paid for $1,000. Very cheap, very cheap life there. So the puff pieces on this guy from The Guardian, I was reading this long Guardian piece. It took them to the third page to even mention, and it was like something like 18 paragraphs to even mention that he'd killed someone. I'm like, why is the guy, I was like, this is interesting. A straight white man, normally The Guardian hates them, but when do they, when do they like them? When they've murdered someone. Then they win back some points in The Guardian's sick worldview. Then I saw even the male, I think it was, had a kind of graphic novel of how the execution went down. It was like a cartoon picture with, oh, there's the person crying and this has happened at this time and this happened. I was like, why is this guy getting the graphic novel treatment? It's like, the media love this guy. They love this guy because he's a murderer. And they're, they're, just, they're just, just an outpouring of love for these people. Why? Ultimately, the only answer is subversion. They want to subvert and destroy society. If you look at The Guardian... What, what is your worldview if stripped back? That's what it is. It's the straight white man who does his best and has a family and is a Christian and wants things to go well and everyone to be happy and believe in God and, and say your prayers and eat your greens. He's evil. But the Alabama murderer, he is the oppressed. He is the underclass. Oh, he's so oppressed. So in, in that case, you're right that the, the, the working class or the underclass get away with more because they are romanticized by these people as, uh, you know, as the underdogs. As long as... But not if they're Tommy Robinson making sort of 
edgy points about Islam that the establishment doesn't like, but only if they're murdering women. But you go, hang on, don't, doesn't the establishment like women? Well, no, not anymore, because we, we know they've erased women. Women are gone now with Stonewall and all that. But, but murdering a woman in 1988 is suddenly a positive if you become a kind of hard luck story because you're being killed and it's the death penalty and we're against the death penalty, therefore we become pro murderer so at the heart of it is just an inherently subversive destructive worldview that wants to tear down society i think it comes down to that it may also yeah i mean it's it's I mean, if you unpack the term anarcho tyranny which is quite a good term to describe this state of affairs and this kind of double standard in the criminal justice system whereby you know um essentially our inner cities particularly outside London, uh, every Friday and Saturday night are lawless zones, virtually unpoliced. Um, uh, and um, that's the anarchy bit. Um, and then the tyranny bit is that speech crimes are zealously investigated and prosecuted. Um, uh, and um, one of the reasons is, as you say, it's because um, this new woke ideology means that um, they have a kind of uh, misplaced sympathy for anyone who can cast themselves as a victim of oppression, including hardened criminals, um, uh, but no sympathy at all for um, white heterosexual men who commit speech crimes. Um, it, it's partly also a kind of resources issue, isn't it? In that, you know, for the police to prosecute someone for assaulting someone else outside a pub on a Saturday night in Nottingham city centre, that requires, I mean, to actually stop them doing it would require putting themselves in harm's way. So they're less likely to do that than they are to arrest someone for, a you know, misgendering um, uh, a drag queen. Um, but in addition, Probably those, you know, the speech crimes are easier to investigate. You, you can sit 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 at your desk in in the police station and kind of comb through what people have said on their social media accounts and find evidence that they've committed speech crimes. You know, without without ever getting up off your ass, um, uh, you don't have to wear out any shoe leather to kind of secure a conviction. So that that may partly be a reason why the police are much more focused, seemingly. Um, on speech crime than they are on, you know, burglary. Yeah, it, I think all those things you said, and I was going to say anarcho-tyranny, and it, you, you're right to bring that up. And a quick definition here, a system of government that fails to enforce or adjudicate protection to its citizens while simultaneously persecuting innocent conduct. And that is the key. And that is absolutely what we have now. You, that woman saying the other woman can't sing gospel songs on the street. You just you come up with the endless examples, hate, non-crime, hate, incidents, all these kind of things. That's the key thing. You have to punish or protecting the rape gangs, all these kind of things. You have to punish the innocent while letting off the guilty. Yes. This, this is our society. Yeah. And, and I think that's partly, I mean, it's, and that was a kind of a great example of a narco tyranny, wasn't it? The interview with that, um, what was she like, um, a community police officer, a volunteer police officer? But, you know, essentially she's there on what? Oxford Street. Um, uh, uh, on a busy shopping day when no doubt shoplifting is taking place on an industrial scale. She's doing F all about that. And her focus is on stopping someone singing a Christian song outside a church. Um, I mean, why, yeah. why is she prioritizing that rather than, you know, 
allowing retailers to kind of go about their business and protecting them from shoplifters. Why is that the police's priority? Uh, and yeah, I'm sure she's not. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, she was probably doing what was expected of her by her superiors, and not just kind of you know making it up on the spot, even though she did get the law wrong. I'm um, not sure. She should be deported. Yeah. That's what we do know. She's from Bulgaria. <laughs> Deport immediately. But yeah, you, you, good question, Toby. And why are there those laws in California allowing up to a thousand pounds of shoplifting? All these, and then people, people, companies moving out of California. Absolute insanity. Yeah, it's a narco tyranny. I mean, what can you say? It's just, it's just so sickening, isn't it? I, don't, I almost can't talk about it. But we have talked about it, I and mean, I think we've dealt with it pretty well. Uh, that was, I mean, that was all off the back of the Lawrence Fox case, but I think it was pretty interesting. Well, good luck to Lawrence. I mean, I've defended him on GB News. Controversial, isn't it? Talk about Lawrence on GB. I was like, I'm going to get in trouble, but I defended him. You know, I've seen some people attacking me already on on X, but uh, mainly because someone sent it to me. But um, yeah, I mean, there we go. I think we should move on and do it. It's not exactly a light light story, but it's a slightly lighter, which is party politics, and it's um, Kemi Badenoch has. Uh, so here's a, here's one from the Express. Kemi stirring Tory plotters must stop messing around. So Kemi's in. All sorts of she's a, she's the subject of all sorts of speculation about whether she's running as leader or about to run or considering it, and she's of course ruled it out because it's very hard to say. Oh yeah, yeah, the current guy's rubbish. I'm going to unseat him asap. You almost it's very hard to say that. So she's denied it. There have been various polls. Interesting poll from GB News. You'd think would like Kemi, but she didn't fare well at all. It was a preferred choice to replace Rishi Sunak. Farage eight percent, not even in the Tories. Boris Johnson seven percent. Not even an MP, is he? And Penny Morden, 7%. Sweller Brahman, 2%. None of the above, 51%. So suggesting that maybe a GB News think the whole thing is broken. But then there was another interesting poll, and Kemi fared much better here from Conservative members. She was plus 64%. Penny was plus 48. Estimate Bay, plus 31. Grant Shapps, plus 12, lol. James Cleverly, plus 10. Lord Cameron, minus 5. Jeremy Hunt, minus 17. Rishi Sunak, minus 26. So look at that swing. Minus 26 to plus 64 for Kemi amongst the members. That is an absolute, beyond the drubbing, that's just, it's an absolute mm. obliteration. Mm. And it indicates that if if um, if there was a leadership election and Kemi got into the final two, uh, she would win it by a landslide amongst the members. Um, yeah, no, she's... Um, she she made some effort um, on Sunday to distance herself from the plotters. I mean, I think I think we were quite ahead of the curve with this story, Nick. We were talking about a potential plot to unseat Rishi Sunak at least three weeks ago, possibly four yeah. weeks ago. And um, the stories we break really, stories here. Yeah, the, the stories. We, we only influence really... events. Maybe we influence <laughs> the whole event. <laughs> maybe we, you know, you know, we have certain high profile listeners. Maybe they thought, oh yeah, maybe let's unseat him. <laughs> Anyway, um, the story has now, the story that there is a plot to unseat Rishi Sunak has kind of um, broken through into the mainstream media in the past week, really. Um, And um, I suppose partly prompted by this um, poll uh, that Lord Frost um, interpreted for the Telegraph and paid for by this mysterious uh, group whom no one can identify and no one had heard of before. Um, But Conservative um, Britain Alliance. Conservative Britain Alliance, yeah, and then this Will Dry character who was a who was a pollster for Rishi who quit in no, last November and was partly behind this poll. Yes, 
Yes, mm. uh, it sounds like he he helped YouGov devise the questions. Um, uh, so uh, it looks as though the poll Why are you so was, shit? Sorry. was cooked up, <laughs> cooked up by the plotters. Um, and uh, but 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 you know. If 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 you do essentially uncover a plot to unseat Rishi Sunak, then the obvious next question is, well, who do they want to put in his place? And that's how Kemi's name has been connected to the plotters. And so on Sunday, she um, strongly denied that um, she had anything to do with this plot, and um, said that people who were uh, talking her up as a potential successor to Rishi Sunak uh, before the general election replacement before the general election weren't her friends um and um they weren't weren't talking you know uh, with her authorization uh, and then and then um uh, uh yesterday it emerged that she's actually in this whatsapp group with michael gove and others which is called evil plotters <laughs> so that yeah. was i guess a little bit embarrassing but that um, was alleged but she did, has, she, has she actually denied that as well no, she hasn't. I don't think when I checked last night, she hadn't denied that she is in this WhatsApp group. But she said, uh, I mean, I think I think she said it was just uh, perfectly normal for MPs to communicate with each other on WhatsApp. Um, and um, it sounds like uh, it may be an ironically named group um, rather than an actual group of people connected to the plot we've been reading about for the past week or so. Yeah, uh, I but, mean, but it, it could easily it, have an it, ironic, funny name. It could still have Michael Gove in it and have these kind of topics, but they give it a funny, ironic name because they've yeah. been accused of plotting. That's what yeah. I see as most likely. Yeah. Um, anyway. Surprised you're not um, in it, Toby. Yeah. <laughs> but you know uh, yeah. I suppose it, it's not all that surprising that um, defenders of Rishi Sunak should, you know, um, counterattack um, by trying to expose the plotters to identify who their champion is, who's funding them, etc. So that seems to be um, uh, the direction of travel at the moment. I think, you know, um, clearly someone in the Rishi camp discovered that Kemi and Michael Gove were in this group called Evil Plotters and leaked it to the Times. Um, but I think this, this, this will rumble on. Um, we've got two by-elections, local elections, a mayoral election all coming up, and um, uh, uh, particularly the two by-elections. And uh, so it looks like, um, you know, um, speculation about uh, Rishi's future is not going to end anytime soon. Do you think if Kemi got in now, she still survives the general election? Because I was thinking about it, and I think she does. I think Rishi loses the general election and has to go. But if Kemi came in so late... She'd be like, well, I haven't really had a chance. I'm just starting and, you know, I was never going to win it. I did better than people thought maybe or something. Or if she doesn't, well, we knew this was going to happen. It was mainly on the Rishi. I think she would still survive. Ideally, it would be after the election, but I still think she'd survive either way. But do you think she's yeah. a nut? That's one guy. Answer that one first, yeah. Well, yeah, I think I think, um, I think um, if she took over from Rishi Sunak um, and led the Conservatives into the next general election... I think um, the likelihood is Labour would still win an overall majority and form the next government. But um, I can see a pathway to stopping that happening if Kemi is the leader. And I can't see a pathway to stopping that happening anymore for Rishi Sunak if he remains the leader. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, as, as, we've, as we've discussed before, um, if um, Rishi decided to resign, 
and there was a coronation rather than a contest. Kemi is made the leader. Um, and then, um, in pretty short order, calls a general election on the single issue of um, immigration. Uh, so the issue is, there's nothing we can really do about the small boats. We tried to put this Rwanda solution in place. It failed. Uh, and we can't do anything about it while we remain part of the European Convention on Human Rights. So I'm fighting this election uh, on that very issue, that single issue. And you kind of make it into kind of like, you know, the Brexit referendum 2.0, a referendum about sovereignty, about immigration, about taking back control, about the future of Britain, about who we are as a country and what we want to be and do we want to protect our national identity and have properly defended borders or not. Uh, I think in that scenario, if she played her cards perfectly, I think uh, not only would, would could she succeed in depriving uh, Keir of an overall majority, I think the Tories under her could win a small majority. Wow. Bold. I'm not so convinced, but... Um... To me, it's. I really like Kemi. She's very clear. She's very smart. She's likable. Is she enough, given how bad the situation is, how broken our politics is? I'm not sure, but maybe. I mean, I could see Starmer getting in and destroying the country, obviously, and then Kemi could be the Thatcher to his Callaghan if he's struggling with the unions, if he's struggling with the economy, if he's struggling, obviously, with wokeness and the general depravity of Labour and you and me are in prison and... Uh, you know, you could see Kemi coming in and, you know, Thatcher was in opposition to Callaghan and, and that's that's how she began. So maybe. But is she enough? You know, do we need... I, I just think we need Farage. We need someone, you know, that sort of revolutionary. The idea that Farage... You know, it would be such a reshaping of politics. I don't know how he does it when we discussed it ad nauseum, but it is Kemi enough to really get the Tories back out of the wilderness or is she just a punchy wilderness candidate getting some blows in against Starmer and PMQs? Yeah, I mean, um, we don't know the answer to that question. And it's, 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 it's really hard to tell. You don't know how people are going to respond when they, you know, become leader of the party, prime minister. Um, and, uh, you know, um, seemingly, the Conservative Party's become quite bad at picking leaders. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, people are divided about how effective David Cameron was, but he was probably the most effective of the leaders since, um, you know, certainly more effective than than his successors, uh, not necessarily at winning elections, but at kind of managing the party um, and um, running the country. Um, you know, all his successors have proved to be uh, pretty poor um, in in various respects. Um, uh, so it's really hard to tell, I think, ahead of time uh, whether someone's going to be any good in that role. But um, being being the eternal optimist, um, uh, I think that Kemi would be good in that role. I think she would rise to the occasion. I think she would grow into the office. I think she has a kind of natural authority. She has fantastic instincts. She has good people around her. Um, I share most of her policy positions. I think she's pretty closely aligned with us when it comes to woke, when it comes to immigration, when it comes to Britain's national identity. Um, so um, I think, uh, as I say, I still think even if she was leader, Keir would probably win a majority. Um, but I think that we'd have a chance 
of of stopping that happening under her. And I can't see us having a chance under anyone else, including Rishi Sunak. And I do also think, I mean, one of the kind of, you know, the most powerful arguments, the most persuasive arguments against changing leader before the general election is, you know, the public would just grow absolutely sick and tired of the Conservatives constantly playing musical chairs in Downing Street as the country goes to the dogs. And it would just kind of underline the impression that the Conservative Party is in disarray and there needs to be a change of government. They've been in power for too long. Um, uh, but I do think that Kemi would be good enough to offset the hit of, of changing the leader so close to a general election. Okay, well, so it remains to be seen, is she Michael Howard or Margaret Thatcher? And I've invented the phrase punchy wilderness candidate, which I like. Cameron, (laughs) as you say, was more effective, but he was effective at imposing the or continuing the Blairite agenda. So do you want someone to be effective at bad things? It's the Hitler question. Um, I think I'm still with the none of the above 51% from GBs, although I'm not because I'm Farage, so I'm not none of the above. But I am sort of disillusioned with the whole thing and wonder if we need proportional representation. I'm not sure one person woman or man can fix it i will just add one quick thing i saw a video and it was the bbc so we know it's rigged and all that but it was basically normies and i suddenly realized you know you spend all this time on politics and you like you watch one video and you're like why do i bother it was normies being asked who should be pm political person or not political they said some of them said carol vorderman (laughs) what some of them said martin lewis is that his name the money guy so going. one of them said Alex Ferguson, and now at least a good leader and manager, though he is a socialist, but at least yeah. a highly successful best manager of all time. For me, as a lifelong United fan, the socialism would, would be the problem still. Carol Vaughan, and he's like, who are these fuckwits? Why am I bothering? Like, IQ 95, just low information voters. I'm just like, why am I bothering as much as I love the people in the abstract? When you actually, you know, come face to face them, they're pretty dumb. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's, uh, <laughs> It, it, it's testimony to just it just what low regard the general public hold our politicians if they think that Carol Vorderman would be preferable to any of the kind of current lot. It's a shocker. I, I read that too. Very depressing. And I was um, watching a video. The video is even worse. You read it. Is it? Is an article about it? Yeah, there was an article about it. The yeah. video is just oh, that Carol Vorderman's good. Is it? it's like fucking hell. Oh, it's just oh, I don't know. Where do you begin with that? But people said to me, look, this is not normies, Nick. This is your sort of BBC, you know. Uh, Interestingly, though, I mean, I guess. Um, Curated Trump normies. Be- Trump, before he became a candidate, was a kind of, um, amongst other things, a big TV personality. Uh, can you think of any TV personalities who actually wouldn't mind being prime minister? Um, is, Great uh, is, I mean, is, I guess Lord Frost. I mean, well, I'm on TV. No, no, I mean, sorry, I mean, I mean, I mean, what's he called? Not, not, not the the other, uh, the other Lord Frost. Uh, 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 no, what's he? I've got, I've, I've got mixed up. Who's the guy who does The Apprentice? Alan Sugar. Sugar, sorry, Sugar. He's one Frost. of the people they mentioned, Frosting. Toby. You're just one of the Is normies, he? Okay. and you can't even remember his name. So you're kind of normie <laughs> with dementia. Now, I would say I'm on TV. I would pick me. Uh, apart from me, Clarkson. If we're going to sound Clarkson. just like the normies, yeah. that's a solid yeah. normie choice. Yeah, yeah. I've been told off for using the phrase normies before. Imagine how that person's going to feel about about this section. Um, can you think of anyone else? Go on. Piers Morgan is sometimes his name sometimes thrown out there, isn't it? Um, uh, when Ladbrokes have you know they sometimes when they ask who's going to be the next prime minister, kind of like the candidate who has the worst odd, but somehow has crept into the list is Piers Morgan. 
Yeah, he'd be the absolute I, I, worst. Absolute yeah. zero conviction. <laughs> Even less conviction than a than a career politician, which is incredible. Um, I'm trying to think of someone. I'm just, I'm very tired. I'm struggling. I don't watch TV, so I am really struggling. Uh, I can't really think of anyone. I've gone immediately to me, uh, Andrew Doyle. I'm just thinking of GB News. Farage is already on there. <laughs> Mog's already yeah. on there. And I don't yeah. watch these other channels. I don't know who's on them. But I've got no idea. Yeah. Not Reacher because season two's rubbish. But otherwise, Re- Reacher season <laughs> one. <laughs> he could have he could have done it. Um, I'm trying to let me have a think about that. Maybe someone will come to me later. But I'm, okay. I'm really really struggling, uh, which does show you. The, the crop of our TV presenters who could potentially be prime minister just isn't what it was, Toby. It's not no. what it mean. You know, it could have been Dimbleby. He's gone. You know, it's not going to be Fiona Bruce, is it? No. So yeah, I, I can't think of anyone. I mean, who is there even on the telly? Shocking. Um, Andrew oh, Neil. Andrew Andrew Neil, perhaps? No, no, because he threw no. GB under the bus. No, that's true. And was and and he was terrible on vaccines and vaccine passports, particularly. No, no, Neil's gone. Um, who else is on the Blumen telly? I don't even watch it. Claudia Winkleman. Anyway, Claudia Winkleman. <laughs> that's the that's the kind of <laughs> ultimate normie session. That Claudia Winkleman's good, isn't she? Nice hair. Yeah. Anyway, shocking. <laughs> She'd be better than she. I, I definitely vote for uh, Claudia over Carol. That's for sure. True. True. Um, all right. Well, did you want to quickly? I haven't got it in front of me, but did you want to quickly do this university foreign students scam, whereby? Foreign students have to basically get an E to get in, and 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 domestic British students have to get like an A triple A starred plus to, for the same university course. Yeah, well, I I just wanted to mention it because um, uh, a friend of mine um, was so incensed by this Sunday Times expose, uh, which, as you say, um, exposed the fact that British universities, including Russell Group universities, um, are prepared to admit foreign students with much lower qualifications than British students they turn away because they can get more money from foreign students. Anyway, he was so, this this person I know was so incensed by this uh, expose, he reached out to me and said, if you can find a plaintiff, so, you know, an 18, 19, 20-year-old who didn't get a place at a Russell Group University, but where they can show that someone with lower qualifications than them did get a place because they were a foreign national. I will, and they want to sue the university for discriminating against them. I will bankroll that case. So I just wanted to shout out to our listeners: um, if you know of anyone who fits that description, um, tell them to get in touch. Um, and it's uh, it's 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 weeklyskeptic at gmail it's, is that right, Nick? Was it the week? Yeah, I'm just looking forward to the, the slew of emails. But yeah, so if so, if, what, if any if any kid trying to get into uni has been shafted by an, uh, a foreigner, <laughs> is what you're saying <laughs> with an e, they should uh, get in touch. That's basically it. Yeah, ide- ideally they'll be. Um, uh, I think the ideal plaintiff would probably be someone who'd got, you know, three A's, um, uh, had applied to five universities, including three Russell Group universities, uh, to study economics and hadn't been given a place anywhere. Um, And um, um, uh, if you have a a kind of rich target environment like that and a very sympathetic plaintiff, then um, I think it would be quite a strong case. Okay. Well, there's a shout out for that. That was a very frustrating case. Speaking of frustrating cases, maybe we should quickly touch on this UNRWA pro-Hamas employees story where so the UN has this agency for Palestinian refugees which is just 
seems to be incredibly dodgy. And the UN are dodgy from the start. I mean, Bobby Conn once had a song, United Nations Under the Rule of Satan, and it's looking fairly accurate. So they had 12 employees who turned out to be pro-Hamas, and, and they wished victory for the Hamas attacks on October 7th. They called them heroes, and they called them martyrs. And there was a further development I don't have in front of me right now, but it was a, one of them was a, a, a school counsellor. I mean, school counsellors have changed since, since I was a kid. I mean, of course, we didn't have them in Cumbria in the past. You just got on with it and you had no prospects anyway. But there, there was one of them was a school counsellor who was helping out uh, with Hamas and was so, in some way involved with, in, with, with one of the was one of the kidnappings. I need to check the details on that. Did you follow this shocking story, Toby? Yeah, it, it, it is shocking. Um, so um, at first, um, it looked like just a few bad apples um, employed by the UN in Gaza um, were um, uh, either members of Hamas or conspiring with Hamas. Um, but then there was a follow-up expose in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, I think, in which they showed that actually the number of UN employees in Gaza who are linked to Gaza is far greater than that. Um, and it really is pretty shocking. And some of them actually, some of the UN's employees in Gaza actually participated in the Hamas program on October 7th, um, helped them to abduct um, Israeli citizens. Um, and what's ironic about this, um, Nick, is that the head of the UN, what Antonio Guterres, is that how you pronounce it? Um, is, is Antonio, I, I know who you mean, but, but um, yeah, I mean... Anyway, he, 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 he during Probably, the yeah. pandemic, he talked um, a lot about the infodemic posing, you know, as great a threat as the virus, about misinformation and disinformation about COVID-19 on social media. And since then, he's doubled down on this crusade against misinformation, disinformation, and hate speech online. And he gave a big speech towards the end of last year in which he talked about what a grave threat that was and how much harm it caused. And you're thinking, in light of what's just been exposed, no. You know, um, the grave threat, my friend, is not the fact that people are occasionally saying things you may disapprove of a dissenting from the globalist agenda on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. No, a far graver threat is the fact that you employ actual terrorists who participated on the worst slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust on October 7th. You know, physician, heal thyself. Absolutely. And and just on that school counsellor story, it was in The Guardian even, a school counsellor employed by the UN aid agency for Palestinian refugees in Gaza was involved in kidnapping an Israeli woman during atrocities committed by Hamas on 7th of October. What a what madness. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. And just on the, while we're talking about atrocities against Jewish people, I forgot to mention when we were talking about anarcho-tyranny that we, we've been left with Jewish people having to attack assailants in Golders Green, the Shomrim, I believe they're called, who were a voluntary community patrol group, had to deck an attacker and hold him until the police came. Did you see that? Yeah, that was um, that was extraordinary, yeah. That's the um, world we're in now. We need our own little separate vigilante militias, whatever to call them. We need a Christian one. We need all kinds of ones because the police aren't going to do it. So we need, you know, I, I would love to see the, them doing it, but it's not just the Jewish community. We, I mean, what about the Manchester bombing? What about all these other things? You know what about Rotherham? We need we need people 
to and not just those kind of crimes. We need, I don't know, don't we just need our own little separate police forces? It's looking is like. that is that what you, so? Are you volunteering for that, Nick? So you wouldn't sign up to defend the country um, in a war against Russia, but you might sign up for a kind of white ethno nationalist kind of police. <laughs> I didn't force. say that. I didn't say white. I might say Christian. White okay. Jewish people have them. Why can't we have a Christian one? Right. Christian okay. people out there and people might say, well Christians don't really go around bashing people up on the streets, but this one would. Yeah, you know, I'd consider it, Toby. I was thinking about it. I would consider it. It's like, you know, I'm bigger than some people think. I do strength training three times a week. Don't have any fighting techniques. Did boxing for a bit, injured my wrist. Would need to be with a gang of people, would need to be trained, would need weapons. What weapons would I get? Uh, well, you, you might get some pepper spray and um, a truncheon. Uh, one of the, um, I, I don't suppose they give you a gun, but but maybe. What, um, what, arm, what armor would I have? Because I would struggle in London, given everyone's got knives and guns. Yeah. If I just went in, just me, you know, with a big tall hat and a stick I, and like a bobby on the beat, I might struggle. I think I need, I need protection. Yeah. I need, I need a arm need a stab chest. vest at the very stab, yeah. vest. Ideally, with guns. Then I would do it. I mean, I'd love to get, I get involved. When my friend Sean Langan, um, who's a documentary maker in conflict zones, has just in fact completed his latest documentary um, in um, which he made in in the Donbass um, in Ukraine, um, telling the story of the conflict from the uh, Russian, from a perspective of of Russian conscripts. First time, probably last time that, that that's ever happened. Um, about to be shown on ITV in a couple of weeks. Uh, but anyway, I remember when he was going out to the Middle East to film a documentary, um, as a parting gift, I bought him this quite superior bulletproof vest um, from an army surplus store. It cost about, I don't know, 150 quid. And I presented it to him and he was very touched and thanked me. And then he told me that um, he traded it for like a packet of fags with this really attractive female foreign correspondent in the kind of international hotel in Beirut, you know, within 24 hours of arrival because it was really heavy and uncomfortable and he didn't want to wear it. I was like, anyway, that's Shocking. a thanks I got for <laughs> buying my friend this fabulous gift. Uh, the one silver lining It's quite weird this, you could um, save someone's life just with like a gift and you didn't think of it otherwise. Oh, have a bulletproof vest. Oh, I didn't think of that. Like, that's quite weird. You think that was like an essential item, not like, a, oh, I might <laughs> might get it as a gift. Wait, wait, just put it, it's on my Christmas list. Yeah, well, he was like- Get uh, yourself that one. Yeah. <laughs> one silver lining to this- um, UNRWA story. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but um, James O'Brien um, was um, uh, railing against any suggestion that the UNRWA, which is the key UN Gaza aid agency, amongst other things, any suggestion that it should be defunded just because a few bad apples had been uncovered. He was also casting doubt on the veracity of the Israeli intelligence, uh, which um, uh, exposed these UNRWA employees of being involved in the October 7th attack. He's saying, you know, tainted source, it's a few bad apples at most. Uh, This is not a good reason to suspend, you know, the main source of aid to beleaguered Gazans and, you know, ranting about it. Um, and, um, And then Britain... Um, decided to suspend funding of this agency. And then James O'Brien's beloved EU decided to suspend um, the funding it's giving to the UNRWA. So, you know, he's been left with egg on his face. So that's hilarious. 
I knew that the US and UK had, had withdrawn funding and Romania and some others. I didn't know. I knew the EU were thinking about it last I checked. No, I think so they, they, they did uh, it. I thought. I think the EU have actually done it. Yeah. Wow, James O'Brien. It'll just nothing he won't defend if it suits his uh, ideology. Hey, maybe he'd say the same about me. Uh, that's fine. I'll meet him in the uh, street militia, police uh, gangs. I don't know <laughs> which side. Will we think James O'Brien will have his own separate militia? It could get very complicated. I've just checked this. It said apparently, as of one day ago, the EU says it's reviewing funding. Yeah, that's for what the I UNRWA. Reviewing. Um, uh, yeah, they're being too cowardly. They're being behind the curve, and they we've just done it. US done it. They're like, oh, we're reviewing. We do hate Israel, and we are pathetic, but we just want to wait. Yeah, scum. Um, <laughs> just applies to anyone in that story. Um, all right, that's that story nailed. Maybe mm, do we have time to do a light-hearted story about men and women? I'm not sure. We've got so many um, US stories to do. I really don't know. And if I start going about men and women, I might be here all day. Yeah, that's my... true. But this was this was um, it was it was an interesting story, wasn't it? Um, and a fantastic uh, graph in the Financial Times showing the widening ideological gap between men and women across the West. But one of the interesting things about this graph was that the gap is smaller. Um, in the UK than it is in some other Western countries, particularly the US, where it's just yeah. enormous. Yeah, so South Korea is the most extreme gap between women and men in terms of political persuasion. The women are sort of plus 20-something liberal and the men are like minus 20-something conservative in the swing. So it's they're completely at odds. And the US, they're going very much that way, according to this, and Germany too. But in the UK, the women are sort of plus... 40 or 50-something liberal lefty, and the men are like plus 20-something. So basically, while I wrote a, you know, a very um, quite a mature post about this, I said my reading of this is that UK women are total libtards and men are meeting them halfway out of desperation. Men should just hold frame and pull women into the conservative part of the graph, open every first date by saying women shouldn't be allowed to vote and thank me later. Any comment, Toby? My point is, you know, men are clearly they're adapting to women being ridiculously lefty because they want to, you know, get 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 somewhere. But they should just say no. They just just say no, and women will eventually come to us if we just say no. Women voting was a mistake. The most conservative thing, you know, death penalty, bang bang bang. Just lay those all out on the first date. Pro life. Just just go through the whole. Maybe not that one is a bit complicated, but just go through the whole thing. Tell them, you know, they'll just come to you eventually, don't you think? Men are men should stop being cucks. Well, um, I, isn't there increasing evidence that actually um, women um, are taking the political views of their prospective partners um, more into account when deciding whether or not to date them? Uh, and that's one of the reasons, um, uh, you know, um, uh, for the declining lower than replacement birth rate um, across the West is because women are just increasingly less inclined. They're becoming more and more liberal and at the same time, less and less inclined to date people with different political views to them. And men simultaneously are becoming more and more conservative. So it seems like, you know, just another nail in the coffin of the West. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, some people were questioning how these statistics were found, and it was based on which parties you you indicate preference for, and that doesn't work because the conservatives aren't conservative and blah, blah. So I've heard things like this. But yeah, on that point, I mean, well, I'd say people should listen to my upcoming Current Thing episode with John Sonmez, who was one of the OGs of the Red Pill uh, online, and he was saying, look, women are a mirror. 
they'll follow you, they'll reflect what, what you do. So that's where I got my, my propaganda from. I just think uh, men need to, just, it's up to men to be the change, be ultra conservative. But it is tough, isn't it? When you're, when you're, you are sort of on the conservative side, it's not considered cool. And it, you are sort of like a weird outlier and you get called all sorts of things. And I don't know, you can maybe not, you can either not explain it to women or you have to be, or you have to explain it. And like, as we're saying, just convince them over time, or you sort of have to just date within your weird, but then conservative women are weird, obviously. So <laughs> why do you think it is? I mean, we could speculate about why men seem to be becoming more right wing, but why are women becoming more left wing? Is it because, um, is, is it because, um, the way in which kind of radical progressivism presents is as more feminized than, you know, populism or conservatism. Um, they purport to care about the vulnerable. They're more inclusive. They prioritize safety over liberty. They don't put people before profits. It's all got this kind of feminine dimension designed to appeal to women who value those things on average more highly than men. Um, they're more, you know, it, it, it's as though the kind of ideology of radical progressivism has taken on this feminine aspect and it therefore is more likely to appeal to women than to men. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's compassion. It's the sort of straightforward, ostensible, on the face of it, compassion of things like socialism that they get sucked in by Whereas men, it's this is shown in the US and things, vote it's white men basically who are voting for libertarian ideas and the Second Amendment and things like this. These are more abstract, rational ideas like, oh, we might need our weapons in case the government turns usurpatious and tyrannical. This is much more of a rational idea that's counterintuitive. Whereas women are like, oh yeah, everyone should everything should be fair and equal. And that's just how they are naturally, just how they're wired. Men aren't too bothered about equality. We're more like, now we're going to go off to the woods and go going off to the woods on my own and do my thing and you can come with me or not. We're just very different. And the other thing is agreeableness. Women are famously high in agreeableness, which means they care more about social convention. So when the world goes left, they go with it. Whereas men are more likely to go, I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm just an autistic guy in a basement or wherever I am, you know, in a lighthouse somewhere going, no, I I don't, I've checked the stats and that doesn't stack up. And a, and, a, and a less charitable way of putting that is that women, on average, are more conformist than men, and therefore they're more susceptible to um, mainstream media and social media propaganda. So if they if they if they watch CNN and they're on and they're on X um, and they and and the general tenor of the information of their information diet is progressive then they're more likely to align with that progressivism uh, because they're more conformist yeah and of course there are good reasons for that and and that's a kind of social intelligence and it's a social intelligence that comes from survival presumably a woman looks around and goes okay what's the vibe here how do we survive in this scenario they're more vulnerable obviously they go okay this is what we're doing and they're smart enough socially to work it out whereas men are kind of stupid we're sort of we might even see what's going on. We go, no, nah, I don't want to be part of that. And we deli- look at Lawrence Fox. We deliberately make things hard for ourselves <laughs> because of certain principles and points of principle. It's just how we are. You know, you, you, there's no female Lawrence Fox. Okay, you do get these outliers who are like that very rare. Katie Hopkins, okay, you do get them. They're very rare. It's far more male to sort of go. And she sort of think, talks like herself as kind of being a bit like a man mentally. It's far more masculine to sort of go, no, nah, sod that I'm doing this. And 
be pilloried for it. Whereas women are like, oh, they'll notice your shoes. They'll notice everything. They understand fashion. You know, it, it's a completely different set of perceptions. It, you know, and it's not, it's not better or worse, Toby. Um, you know, it's very, you know, it's very, they're very smart in that way. But men just, do, yeah, we do don't you think, care. Do you think you, could you date um, a liberal woman? It's a great question. I actually met up with my ex-girlfriend the other day and I was thinking it's very hard to find someone this beautiful who has some equally abhorrent views to me. It's very, very hard to find someone like that. And I was thinking, and she's got the same problem. She keeps trying to find these guys and they'll they'll be good looking or successful. Then they go, then they've taken the vaccine or they're a woke actor and they're just a complete idiot. So it's tough for her as well. It's very tough. And it, when, when you do have these views, it is very hard. My answer to that, Toby, is yes, um, but I would have to then embark on this project of gradually showing them the light and the way you know, I always get on really well with Amy at GB News. So I'm like, Amy, she's the most woke person, but she's a really nice person. And I've met her kid, and, and he's a great kid, and testament to her as a mother. Her views are absolutely awful. I always say to Amy, you're so nice, but your views are just absolutely insane. And she says, I think the same about you. So it can be done, not that we're dating, but, you know, <laughs> she's married, but, you know, hey. Um, but that type of thing, there could be a woman like that, and you'd convert them gradually to the truth and the light. I think it could happen. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that my, my wife is... Um is is a liberal um she's not woke um she's not you know a radical progressive um but um she's certainly liberal um and you know we we've managed to um navigate that particular difference um fairly successfully sometimes it makes for some interesting arguments no no (laughs) you're a liberal i I mean she's a feminist i'm a a classical liberal um which is which which puts us at, in slightly different places politically. But doesn't it end with but, you just um, losing the argument and going to the shed? Quite often, yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, your mention of vaccines reminds me of something, which is um, my son, um, 18-year-old son, is about to go to Brazil. He's in his gap year and he's, um, he's, he's managed to save some money from working in a pub and he's heading off to Brazil and from there he's going to go on this sort of tour of South America and he went off yesterday to get some shots which he needs um you know um uh, before he can go to Brazil and he said dad um i got some bad news um apparently you can't get into Brazil unless you've been vaccinated so i had the covid vaccine and he showed me this kind of plaster on on the kind of vaccine area in his arm and he had me for a second i was like Oh, you absolute idiot! You didn't. Oh my God! You're gonna get my account. And and uh, and then he said, oh, "I'm just kidding, Dad. I'm just kidding." And sort of cracked up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you can't be. How can you possibly on the dating apps? I'm not on them, but I've seen them in the past. And they all all the women started putting vaccinated. They put pronouns and they put vaccinated just to prove our point about social conformity. They put vaccinated. It's like why do I want to see them vaccinated? And some of them even put things like no Jordan Peterson fans because they're. One reason for that, as Polly said before, is women are trying to disqualify, whereas men are trying to qualify. So women get so many messages they need to on these apps. It's ridiculously stacked in that way. So they need to disqualify. So must not be a Jordan Peterson fan born in June, whereas men are just trying to qualify. So it's going like star sign. We're going, yes. You know what I mean? We're trying to be like the most blob, like nothing person just to get through the series of hoops. Whereas they're like, must not like Jordan Peterson or cheese. And it's just like, and they put all that rubbish. And um, whereas, of course, my ex-girlfriend, the one I referred to, didn't have the vaccine. And I did know another girl, um, very nice, and she was so against it that she was a Christian. She had to get it to travel for a job she just couldn't get out of or something. But she held up her cross when getting it because she knew it was, <laughs> it was inherently evil, <laughs> which I found what, hilarious. What, 
What's happened to the blue-haired hottie in your apartment? Green-haired, yeah, sorry again, I, I wasn't that bothered, and um, okay. that was that. Um, but yeah, there's been many, well, there hasn't been many, there's been nothing since then, but there's just been, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know about that, so I give up. Um, I just work all the time, that's all I do, work, work, work. Um, I thought of some other stories to tell you, actually, but I, I think they're off-air, off-air only. Um <laughs> I'll put them so, in the premium section. Yeah. Put them in the premium section. Yeah, which will be more about my ex-girlfriend and a lot of more details. But um, so sign up, guys. <laughs> um, I think that is the end of our main stories. So that is that's that's the end of our sort of normal domestic stories. There. All right. Well, now let's do our occasional section. It's across the pond, and we're going to have all kinds of graphics in future for these, and it's going to go across the pond, and there'll be a whole. Sting, I don't know. It's, it's not going to do that at all. And I just cough. But uh, go on, Toby. You look like you want to say something. No, I think I, I think we do have um, in the video version, which you can see over on our YouTube channel. Uh, that's the free version, or you can see the premium video version if you subscribed. Uh, if you subscribe at basedmedia.org, we do have those fancy graphics, uh, Nick. Now, but, yes, but they're going to get even more fancy. Is my point, and I'll be singing on them. Um, so the first one I think we should do is the impending civil war in America. It didn't kick off quite as much as I thought. Yeah, it started with Texas. It sounded like Texas was going to secede, so it was all this debate over the the border and the barbed wire, and uh, Texas wanting to defend its border, but Biden not allowing them to, or saying it's going to cut the barbed wire and this whole standoff. And uh, it, it became called Standoff at Eagle Pass, which I love. It's like an old Western movie, isn't it? It's just mm. such a great title. It's definitely a, like a 70s movie or earlier. Standoff at Eagle Pass. You imagine one of those. That's that's earlier than seventies. That's one of those old fashioned trailers from early yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. You'll be yeah. so entertained by Standoff at Eagle Pass. John Wayne, <laughs> as you've never seen him. Hey, Pilgrim, and is it? You know what I mean? Is it, uh, who's the other guy from uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Hey, buddy. And it'll just be. <laughs> I don't know. He's all got the same accent. But uh, with with Anthony Quinn yeah. as the leader of the Mexican bandits, <laughs> El <And> Paso. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a white man as an American Indian with some makeup on. Standoff at Eagle Pass in theaters now. Yeah, so um, Standoff at Eagle Pass. I mean, I did say, if you were going to start a civil war in America, or you were going to even write a fictitious thing about it, you would start it in Texas in a place called Eagle Pass. It was just so perfect. I'm a little light on the details, though, because it was a week ago and I haven't really checked out what's going on. But basically, Greg Abbott stood up. He said, he said, no, we're defending our border. We're Texas. We do what we want. Then like 25 other states supported him. And it looked for a while like it could kick off in the kind of in the new civil war. Yes. I mean, it has been um, quite dramatic. What well, it's a standoff between the National Guard and the Texas Rangers about um, uh, the defense of the, uh, the, the U.S. border. Um, in the state of Texas by Eagle Park. Um, and I guess if, you know, if, 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 um, if there is this national, I thought when I read the story, if there is this kind of beautiful national park on the, you know, on one side of the Rio Grande, um, it might be quite difficult to stick a wall up, mightn't it? I mean, you know, was Trump proposing to kind of stick a wall up on the American side of the Rio Grande in Eagle Park was that was was that one of his ideas? Um, Big anyway, um, wall in the mid, we'll put it in the middle of the park. People get a look. <laughs> the park will be ruined. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it seems to be becoming a 
increasingly big issue in the forthcoming US presidential election. Even Biden, I don't know if you saw, but like yesterday, he said that my hands are tied by Congress. If I was allowed to do do something to strengthen our borders, I would, but my hands are tied. It's like, uh, I don't think many people are going to buy that. No, I did see something saying that Biden effectively backed down, but Let's see. Here's Tim Pool posting just 21 minutes ago as we record about civil war. He's the happiest man in America because he's been predicting civil war every episode for about five years or more. So, um, yeah, let's see. I mean, let's see how it goes. I don't have loads more on that. We just we're just going to keep an eye on it. It was breaking sort of last week as we recorded, but other other people have way more information than me. We just wanted to quickly touch on it just to show that we were aware that America is about to have a civil war because it would look bad if we weren't aware. Who would win is the big question, isn't it? Because you've got the Texas people with all the guns and all the training, but you've got the, the establishment has the drones and all that. But it's not clear. The, the, the argument is always, oh, we just drone you into oblivion and we just bomb you. It's not that simple because you've got all the people on the ground with weapons. They can fight in the cities. They can fight guerrilla style. And if you just drop a massive bomb on American citizens, it's quite a big PR loss. So you, can, you can't really do that until very deep into the war, at least. So it's not totally yeah. clear who would win. And yeah, and, and you know, as we've been talking about earlier, There'd be a risk, I imagine, that a lot of the, you know, um, uh, U.S. Army personnel or even people, members of the National Guard who are expected to, you know, um, go to war um, with um, American patriots might kind of might not have anything like the same kind of uh, enthusiasm, the same determination um, as their opponents. Um, uh, I mean, that that was that was. Um, to a certain extent, one of the characteristics of the um, Vietnam nineteenth century U.S. Civil oh. War, um, but um, yeah, you, you can you can um, you can imagine it would be a bit like you know the, the kind of uh, the the kind of establishment side, the unionist side in Civil War two would be a bit like the kind of um, Afghan army, which just kind of scattered um, when attacked by the Taliban. Um, uh, but who knows? I thought we were going to compare it to Vietnam because the Vietnamese knew their territory, they had their tactics, and they wanted it more, and that's why they won that. But um, no, it's a good point. Yeah, you could compare it to the previous civil war. Let's just hope the good guys win this time. You know what I mean? Hey, guys, the, in the American civil war, the good guys win this time. Um, <laughs> that's a shocking thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little little pro-slavery banter there. You're going to get us cancelled. hope this doesn't this get is on YouTube now. <laughs> on Nick, YouTube. this is on YouTube. You've got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Funny stuff. Um, oh, well, that's one pond story. Let's do this other one concerning a certain Donald J. Trump, and that is Trump comes out fighting. So Donald's lawyers reveal how they plan to ch- challenge, so I'm really tired, 83.3 million jury verdict in E. Jean Carroll case as they discover startling link between the writer and the judge. So he got done for 83 million in this absurd case of the woman who claims to have been assaulted in the early 90s in a department store, bizarrely. And um, But it turned out that Judge Lewis Kaplan and Carroll's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, who are not related, weirdly, worked together in the early 90s, and the judge served as her mentor. So... This was the the legal team and the judge being being sort of you know having a clear conflict of interest. One thing that was really interesting about this to me, I sort of I won this whole thing really because they defend themselves and say in a statement to the Post, Representative for Roberta Kaplan Zach Sawyer denied there was any conflict of interest and said the two barely knew each other. They overlapped for less than two years in the early nineties at a large law firm. 
And I thought, okay, so knowing people in the early 90s doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's too vague. It's a long time ago. And yet the whole case is an allegation that Trump raped this woman in a department store in the early 90s. So I'm like, can we rely on the early 90s and people knowing each other and crossing paths or not? Because that's what the whole case rests on. I thought it was an interesting. I think I just unraveled the whole case there. But Raheem Kassem was also pointing out, posting about it, saying that this woman apparently, well, his claim was that she, um, the case that she claimed against Trump was awfully similar to the plot of her favorite TV show that she binge watched. He also claimed that the dress she said, claimed she was wearing hadn't even been designed at the time and other various kind of red flags. I don't know. Have you followed this case, Toby? Yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, and it's extraordinary, isn't it? The amounts that are awarded in these um, trials um, compared to, you know, um, the amounts um, awarded in ours. I mean, I think that uh, it looks as though Lawrence Fox, if his appeal doesn't succeed, will have to pay $2 million. Um, uh, and that's mainly in, you know, legal expenses rather than damages. Whereas Trump's now on the hook for $83.3 million. And in the Alex Jones case, it was like in the billions, wasn't it? It was, it was the um, GDP of is... France in Alex Jones's case, roughly. But yeah, <laughs> it it's absurd. Just... They're trying to take these people out, Trump and Alex Jones. It's very, very clear. We all know this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, I mean, how plausible is it that Trump would have raped someone in a department store, you know, in a department store changing room? It just seems... It seems scarcely credible, doesn't it? He did that whole stand-up um, routine about it. Yeah, Raheem Kassem says, she alleged a rape in a public place 30 years ago, ago, but provided no evidence. Her story was remarkably similar to a plot line of a show she binge-watched. The dress she claimed to be wearing hadn't been in design at that point. She's obsessed and continues to talk about how sexy rape is. That's a strange point. I'm not sure he's got to prove that one. Her case was thought up by George Conway and Molly, Jong Fast, at Molly Jong's Fast House Party and was funded by Democrat Jeff Epstein buddy Reid Hoffman. Anyway, it goes on and on. Probably all sorts of, he could probably get sued for all the things he said there, but I don't know. It's, the case seemed incredibly weak to me. 83 million, absolutely absurd. But we all know it's boring to go on about. It's part of the persecution of Trump and anyone who thinks anything else is, has extreme Trump derangement syndrome, even more extreme than your Trump derangement syndrome, Toby, which some of our yeah. people have commented on. We'll get into that in the paid in the paid section um, when we review the reviews. But um, all right, that's pretty much that. I've already mentioned the Alabama execution and... Ben Shapiro rap we're going to talk about maybe in the paid section. And then there was another thing that Taylor Swift was thought to be a Democrat psyop, but you probably haven't looked into it too much. But there's some red flags, like she's with this guy who's like winning everything in the NFL. And she's sort of mic'd up at the game kind of weirdly. And there was this piece, I can't remember, it was in the New York Times or Washington Post, and it was about the sort of Taylor Swift strategy that the Democrats have. They're going to invoke some strategy. And it's said to be like, trying to get Biden onto her tour. So she, she's been kind of become a kind of asset for the uh, Dems. Have you have you heard any of this? No, I haven't been following that, but it sounds unlikely, doesn't it? Is, would, she, would she jeopardize her enormous following by, you know, picking a side? Oh, she's picked a side. She, that happened that. a while ago. She picked a side. She picked them a while ago. What? Has she has she said that she, has she urged people to vote for Biden? She said she loads of sort of just coming election. I'm not sure, but she said loads of lefty. She, I know she said lots of woke stuff in the past. Right. She's quite progressive, right? Yeah. Inside that. Biden's anti-Trump battle plan and where Taylor Swift fits in. This is in the New York Times, but I haven't read the whole piece, so you know, just wanted to flag it in case uh, anyone was an enthusiast for this. But yeah, I, I think it's without knowing much about it, I say it's definitely true. You've got these big assets, you know, these famous influencers. Of course, they're going to use them to try and influence the vote. We already know they were using TikTok people 
you know, the Biden White House were employing TikTokers. So I think it's incredibly feasible that they're they're going to utilize Taylor Swift in some way. I'd say it's almost impossible that they wouldn't. That's my view. What do you think? No. Uh, I don't have a strong view. I, I, my <laughs> my children are more across this than I am, um, uh, and uh, it's it's odd, isn't it? That I think that my children slightly resent the Swifties suddenly developing an interest in American football because they're all quite interested in American football and they see these new arrivals as Johnny come lately. So, you know, where were you before Taylor Swift started dating this quarterback? You know, I think there's, there's a kind of uh, resentment that uh, suddenly American football's becoming glamorous and it's got this huge Instagram presence now, you know, amongst kind of within their, their kind of extended peer group, which it didn't have before because of Taylor Swift. I think they sort of slightly resent that. <laughs> Yeah, well, she's got great songs, but terrible views. So that's Taylor Swift. All right, well, let's go and do everyone's favorite section then, which is Peak Woke. So, Toby, we've honestly done way too long already. We shouldn't be giving this long to the free people. I mean, they don't deserve two (laughs) hours of free. We've completely messed this up. I mean, we're getting way far too much free content. Who's going to want the paid stuff after so much free stuff? It's ridiculous. I say give them 10 minutes free. But, um, I thought I'd do a few peak wokes here. Boy four allowed to join Church of England school as a girl. Did you see this one? This was weird. Yeah, they, they were told yeah. this uh, this boy was a girl, but they all knew it wasn't because they're children and they know the truth. And it turned out this kid had been flashing its willy or his willy at the girls, and he's believed to have told them in the toilets about dark spirits that will suck their souls out, and said it's a deep secret that she is actually a boy, but they mustn't tell anybody. And this is traumatized. Some of the children who've said that they they know the truth and they've sort of not been eating and all kinds of things like this. So it's actually had a traumatic effect. Uh, one of them said her daughter had been behaving strangely last term, including refusing to talk or listen to the radio on the way home, hiding under the table and suffering from stress-induced insomnia and constipation. And she said after repeatedly asking her child if something was wrong, her child told her this month that she knew the secret that her classmate was really a boy and she was distraught. She'd been holding hands with her. I mean, how horrific. Yeah, no, really shocking. Um, uh, did you see that the BBC um, are handing out £50,000 to um, uh, woke comedy writers um, uh, to try and um, support underrepresented groups? So um, under these new guidelines, they've, they've, they've created these grants of up to £5,000 to reach targeted comedy outreach and inclusion activity. And they're for small organizations, groups or projects engaged in comedy focused outreach activity, prioritizing underrepresented groups across the UK as if BBC comedy isn't woke enough. And I thought as a prank, maybe you and I could compose, you know, a sitcom script and apply for one of these £5,000 grants. You could be Nicola Dixon and I could be Toby Young pronouns they them and um we could see how we get on um and then you know once we've got the five thousand we could then throw a massive party and reveal that it was all a huge prank good idea kind of bogosian-esque idea i'd be behind that and, and bbc <laughs> while we're talking about them there's another story bbc staff told not to hire candidates who are dismissive of diversity bbc staff are being told not to hire candidates who are dismissive of diversity and inclusion which means excluding people of course uh absolutely insane that they haven't picked up on this yet 
institu- like I've said, institutions are way behind and companies and on DEI, which is about to DIE, but they just haven't realized it yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, every, every time you think the BBC is finally responding to criticism um, and, you know, accusations of liberal bias, it then does something like this. Um, uh, one of my favorite peak works this week is um, uh, Hillary Clinton's quote about Barbie's Oscar snub. I don't know if you followed this, but um, the Oscar snub supposedly consisted of the fact that um, uh, um, uh, 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 neither the lead actress, she wasn't nominated for uh, 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 Best Actress, and Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for um, Best Director. Uh, And this was thought to be a snub, um, whereas Ryan Gosling was nominated for Best Supporting Actress Actor, and um, uh, Hillary tweeted, uh, "I think I think she she put it on all her socials, but on Twitter and on Instagram." Greta and Margot, while it can sting to win the box office but not take home the gold, your millions of fans love you. You're both so much more than Kenuff. Get it? Mm. And she signed off hashtag Hillary Barbie, and I mean this was cringe inducing but um the odd one of the odd things about it is you know it can sting to win the box office but not take home the gold it sounds like she thinks that she was the real winner of the 2016 presidential election and it was stolen from her the election is still living rent free in her head uh and very much trump yeah she won the popular vote this claims by nearly 2.9 million though that is abc news but yeah, I mean, I think that's right, kind of what the right. vibe she's going for with that. That is what she means. Yeah. Um, okay. But still cringe-inducing. And look, Ryan was just better. Men are better at acting. What can we do? There it is. Um, and, and one of the embarrassing things about this um, tweet is that, in fact, um, uh, Robbie, um, Margot Robbie has been uh, nominated as a producer because it's been nominated for Best Picture and she's one of the producers. And Greta Gerwig... Um, has been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. So um, they have, in fact, been nominated for Oscars, something that Hillary yeah. seems to have overlooked. They have to have did you see Ryan Gosling's? <laughs> did you see Ryan Gosling's uh, quite um, cuck-like remark? He said, no recognition would be possible for anyone on the film without their talent, grit, and genius. To say that I'm disappointed that they are not nominated in their respective categories would be an understatement. It's oh, like, no. I bet he's actually kind of singing and dancing about the fact that he got a nomination and um, Margot Robbie didn't. I, I used mean, to like him. Incredible actor. Yeah. Um, always seems yeah. cool. That's, I don't, I, that's upset me. Um, <clears throat> do you have any more, Toby? I've got maybe two more. I'm getting very tired. What though, else so I might... All right, I'll give you two. While you're looking, I'll give you two more. One okay. is sort of squeezed into Pete Wilkins. Actually, I'll give you three more. One's from memory. One is that um, SNL did a piece on Trump talking about debanking. So Trump kept saying debank, and he kept saying de-... he's learned this word now, and he loves it. He kept saying debank. Now, we all know the word from Farage and others, but SNL did a sketch where they kind of, oh, Trump's got this new made-up word, debank. What's he talking about? It's just such regime woke comedy. They've deciding with banking, and their position is, well, Trump's stupid because he's made up the word debank. No, you're just unaware of what's happening in banking, you absolute morons. That was that. Uh, that was that. Um, do you want to do your two others, or shall I throw in some? I'll do this one quickly. Labour MP Kate Osamore 
has whip suspended over Holocaust memorial posts referring to Gaza. Did you see this? So she takes, she goes and oh, posts, yeah, tomorrow is Holocaust Memorial Day, an international day to remember the 6 million Jews murdered during the Holocaust. Okay, yeah. The millions of other people murdered on Nazi persecution of other groups. Okay. And and you, and more recent genocide, careful, in Cambodia. All right. Rwanda, Bosnia. All right, cool. And now Gaza. So she had to throw in on Holocaust Memorial Day, an obvious pointed reference to Gaza being Holocaust. Absolutely disgusting stuff, but classic labor. I mean, look, you can say what you want and we can all see what you're like. Pro-free speech, which is such a labor thing to do. It's like, and by the way, Gaza's actually a mm, It's like, oh, piss off. Disgusting. Yeah, no, that was dreadful. I think she, she has had the whip suspended, hasn't she, as a consequence. Um, so there's a, a new um, exhibition um, uh, claiming that the first Britons were black. It's a, an exhibition on uh, diverse history. Um, the um, Royal Navy um, is actually redeploying some officers to its diversity and inclusion team, in spite of the fact that uh, the Royal Navy is now so undermanned, it can't actually deploy um, uh, aircraft carriers to the Red Sea. It still thinks it has um, sufficient capacity to redeploy some of its officers to its diversity and inclusion team. Um, uh, Admiral Nelson has been included in the, the the now infamous National Maritime Museum's Queer History Night. And of course, there was the EU's new language guidelines, which I saw you tweeted about, and which it wants to it wants us to degender our language. So you can no longer say manpower. Uh, what do you say what do you have to say instead of manpower? People power? After, or, you have to say, you have to, one of the big changes was you had to say labor. queen and king instead of king and queen. I, I saw that, yeah. And well, there was that, uh, That's not neutral. That That's just straightforwardly opposite, isn't it? You had to say average citizen instead of Joe Public. And my argument was it's an attack on our entire culture and the poetic vernacular that has naturally emerged from it. Yes, I said it was like taking away rap from black Americans because Joe Public, these are poetic phrases that have naturally emerged from our language. It's, it, of course, it's an assault on men that they're admitting that, but it's also an assault on our entire culture because our language is an inherent part of our culture. The only thing about this, manpower you have to change to workforce, human power, labor force, workers. I mean, a no man's land, poetic, evocative of the war, they probably don't want to remember. Unclaimed territory, they want that to change to. I mean, it's just pathetic. But that apparently was from 2019 was the only strange thing because it got spiked on headliners and because actually it was guidance from 2019 that weirdly the papers had all suddenly run with again so i don't know why it popped up again yeah, it's but it's it was old, certainly yeah. pete well okay. all right my final one my yeah. final one nick is um shakespeare's globe which is a sort of uh monument to wokery um has issued a trigger warning um in advance of its new production of antony and cleopatra um, and um, and the trigger warning um, is a misogynoir trigger warning. Um, so it's a portmanteau of misogyny and noir, the French word for black. And it means specifically misogyny directed at black people. And um, apparently, according to The Globe, uh, some of the attitudes towards Cleopatra in the play reflect uh, misogynoir attitudes. And of course, they've cast a black woman to play Cleopatra, overlooking the fact that actually she was probably a white woman. Um, anyway, um, uh, uh, it's um, 
I, I'd never heard that before. It's a new one on me, Misogynoir. I've heard it. The play contains... Two, yep. Yeah, I've heard it quite a lot, and I, I, I've been aware of it for a few years. And then I heard it in person when I was buying some shoes, and the very nice kid in the shop mentioned that word, and I thought, this guy would hate me so much if he knew who I was. So I like him, and I want to buy the shoes, but if if he if said, what, so what do you do? Oh, I spread the opposite politics to you on the telly and in the podcast so it's a weird, weird thing i always worry in public about if i just you know announce anything about what i do you know there was a there was a how, news how, producer that had gone but how did it come up in conversation with a shoe salesman um i just was saying i just was asking him about his life and what he was into you know we had a nice chat you know i'm a friendly guy toby people like me and um i get into these chats and uh, i was talking about the devil wears Prada. i was like oh he'll like that movie because he's a fashion guy so i find things to relate on and for some reason, he brought up, oh, well, you know, I'm just into the hot. He brought up misogynoir. And, um, and he just asked him about his life, really. And and I just thought, oh, he'd hate me so much. And it, there was a producer who's left now at GB. This might be why he left. He was getting a haircut. Oh, who do you work for? GB News. They didn't finish their haircut. And left really? him with a yeah, half-done haircut. It was always in my mind. I just think, oh, I can't tell these people what I do. But from now on, I will be telling women like- on dates what I do and just holding frame and con- converting them. <laughs> <laughs> Misogynoir sounds like, um, you know, an aftershave, doesn't it? Sort of aftershave I might give you for Christmas. Misogynoir. Uh, Misogynoir by Calvin Klein. Klein. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you have to pretend you like it and not admit who you really are. Um, the only other one I thought we should throw in is the eco-morons. Eco-morons who attack the Mona Lisa by oh, yeah. throwing soup at it. I mean, what can you say, really? Eco-clowns, they've been called. Eco-morons. Riposte alimentaire which uh, apparently means food response in English. When you put it in English, it sounds like a Meals on Wheels service. It doesn't quite work as well, does it? Food right. response. What's your response to great works of art? Food. And we, we throw it at it because we're fucking morons. I mean, like, come on. Just like Philistinism at its height. And, of course, one of them's called Sasha. They're always the posh cultists. Did you follow that? I mean, follow I did. A I bit saw strong. that. Yeah, I saw that. I saw, I saw I saw the video of the what was it was it like looked like tinned Campbell's soup um, being what? thrown. That would be interesting. Being, that would be a Warhol a, reference, but I don't I don't know. Maybe it was. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I don't think meta art references. That, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is peak woke pretty much. And Toby, we've given far too much to these free people. Two hours. I don't like this for the free people. They should be getting about 10, 15 minutes tops because we're not even doing advertising. So anyway, but now we're going to go over to our. Absolute legend paid supporters at basedmedia.org, B-A-S-E-D media.org for the extra, extra stuff, which soon will consume almost all the podcasts. But for now, it's like an extra half hour on top of this. Go to basedmedia.org. There's loads of different subscription options. Uh, Anything else you want to add, Toby, that I've forgotten? No, I think um, we're going to end this um, free version, aren't we, in a sec. But um, if you want to hear the remainder of this podcast, including review of the review, sorry, review of reviews, review the reviews. as well as um, reviews of reviews. Review the and... reviews. Review the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> this, that's all. The, the paid content is just Toby trying to speak, by the way. Actually, last week we got some really interesting paid content about why Toby's such a workaholic and how his drinking t- ties in with it. It was really actually insightful. But anyway, go, go on, Toby. Yeah, so if you want to hear the remainder of this podcast, including Review the Reviews um, and Nick and me talking about the new number one single by Ben Shapiro rapping, um, you'll have to go over to basedmedia.org and become a premium subscriber. And it only costs, you can do it for as little as 
five pounds a month. Yes, because the grift is on and we want to eat food, guys. We're trying to eat pieces of bread and not starve and have some water. Can you believe it? And a roof over our heads. Disgusting grifting. Um, and quickly, while we're talking about grifting, just a reminder, Weekly Skeptic Live, February 12th at the Hippodrome. Tickets available now. It'll be a great show, as always. Dailyskeptic.org to donate to Toby's World. Uh, Free Speech Union dot something. And, um, dot org as well. Dot org as well. Buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon to donate to Nick's World if you hate Toby. If you hate one of us, you see, there's still options. Buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon. NickDixon.substack.com where I'm posting way more, including my brilliant army conscription piece and several others. And I think that is pretty much it for the free content. So until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. <laughs>